0: And it just became this standing um, ability to communicate directly to all staff um, and to be able to shift and shape the culture of the school and the mindset of our collective school um, community. And we talked about, you know, are you working out? Why not if you're not? Do, if we care about our health, then we have to take action about that. All the way to, are you communicating with your parents um, about how students are doing in your class, the good things and the things they could work on? Um, That was a a great, and it it does take time, but I would say it's well worth the the investment of time to write it. Um, And now I actually record it as an internal podcast um, that they can listen to instead of um, reading it to save them some time
1: again. No time, no tools, big expectations. How do you transform school culture without derailing the train? Answer: Little wins that bring big changes. The flywheel effect. Harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.
2: Hello and welcome. My name is Jordan Pruitt. I'm here with my co host, Anna Murphy. We are both former educators, now working with the Live School team to support your school's culture vision. Our show focuses on all the opportunities for little wins that can create big changes in school culture. The flywheel effect is all about sharing stories of admins, school support staff, and other educational change agents. That have succeeded in their initial lifts and have created cultures that have so much momentum that they grow and improve exponentially uh today we're joined by dr anthony tercala of the he's the principal of the city of excellence school in aventura florida uh so anthony i'm gonna hand it off to you so you can introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us a little bit about your school
0: awesome thank you so much uh it's a pleasure to be here you know having this conversation uh like you said my name is anthony tercala I'm principal here at Aventura City of Excellence School, or ACES. We're a K-8 charter school located halfway between Fort Lauderdale and Miami in the city of Aventura. Um, We actually have a charter that's owned by the city of Aventura. Uh, So the city of Aventura uh, runs our school, which is a little bit unique. And we're part of the larger Charter Schools USA um, network. And so we're one of the schools within Charter Schools USA or uh, CSUSA. Um, About me, I grew up in Tampa, Florida, Uh, went to the army right out of high school, and um, I was an air traffic controller for five years in the army, and then decided I really wanted to pursue education. I got a bachelor's in history and then a master's to teach um, social studies. And then I moved down to South Florida and started working here at this uh, beautiful school as a seventh grade civics teacher. And um, from there, I got my doctorate in applied learning sciences and a specialist degree in education leadership. And I worked from you know civics teacher to dean to assistant principal to principal uh, here at this school. Uh, it's my 11th year at the school and my fourth year as principal. Uh, so it's just an, an awesome school culture and uh, family uh, community. And it's just a privilege to continue that tradition and, and connect with our community and our staff um, and of course our amazing students. Uh, so it's a pleasure again to be here and to, to serve in this
2: role. Oh, very, very cool, man! Thank you for coming on. Uh, I have really two things before I, j- I go any further and jump into our first segment. Uh, the first, it's always really cool when we talk to folks the different school systems around the country because you get very used to like, like, like my county or, or my state and kind of you know the structures there. It's different everywhere, and I don't think everybody realizes that. So it's it's really cool you you mentioned your setup there. Um, the other thing I do have to have to, have to note we are. Uh, so like we'll be on Apple and Spotify, but we also have YouTube channels. So like we got uh we'll we we'll have some video too. You have the best background of anybody we've had on yet. Thank you. I appreciate it. So we'll jump into the first part. Uh this part is called uh be a change maker. And we ask everyone um generally similar questions. They always go different directions because everybody's got different backgrounds. Um so but this part is really for our listeners who are thinking about uh, scaling up the culture in their district, but not, not just that, but themselves as well. So like, how do they get themselves in position to make changes? Um, so this is like career lifestyle stuff. It's a chance for you to kind of tell about yourself and, and tell about your experiences. Um, but the first part, which you went into a little bit, um, you talked about your first job uh, was teaching civics and I want to know kind of like your, your first experience in education, how did that shape, how you lead now?
0: Yeah. So in, in terms of my first, um, I mean, if I went back to student teaching, honestly, uh, I went to the college of William and Mary in Virginia. And so I did student teaching in Hampton, Virginia uh, at Phoebus High School. um, And I taught 10th grade uh, human geography. And it just, being a career changer first, you know, I went went into the army, I had five years of professional life um, and knew I wanted to be a teacher and educator. But then that first step into the classroom, you just immediately realize like, this is my office and everybody has their own office and people come through every now and then, but it's on me. And I always remember that. Um, and my goal as a leader is to make sure people realize it's not all on you. Like It really is a collaborative venture. We really need to work on this together. And, and hopefully I can support you through uh, all the challenges that come in this, this crazy field of education. Um, And that that always stuck with me, really. And and that's even as a student teacher. Um, You know, in my first classroom here, I felt the opposite. You know, I felt the support. I knew I could go connect with my colleagues down the hall. Um, You know, I always say my first job, I met new people the last day of school. Here, I was teaching seventh grade and I knew kindergarten and first grade teachers. Um, And you just could see the difference the culture can make for an educator And that obviously translates to the students when you feel that level of connection to where you are.
1: And what do you think informed the culture at that school? What made it so strong? What initiatives have been in place, do you think, before you got there that cultivated
0: that? Yes, I mean, I think it starts with the, one of the elements here is we're a charter school. And again, as a charter school run by a city that's part of a district, and operated by a management company is you have all these different stakeholder views, but ultimately it's on us. Like we have to figure it out. And there's just a real bootstrap mentality. It's what needs to be done and who's gonna do it. The conversation is never whose job is it, or is it my job or what time is it because my contract hours are up. It's always what needs to be done. And that starts by example. I mean, if you see the leaders stepping in to pick up trash and run lunch duty and be out at car line, um, if they're saying, I'm going to do what needs to be done, the staff will say it. And um, so that was really, I think, the biggest thing. It's just the example you see from the leadership.
2: That that kind of like that servant leadership deal, that that's something I think it translates no matter where you go and, and what you're in. I think that's a big deal. Um, I am curious on your school how long has your school been around
0: so this is our 19th year of operation yep so 19 years and so there was a, a first principal an opening prince founding principal and then two or three years later my predecessor my mentor took over um and then she was principal for 15 years i believe and then um i had the privilege of, of being able to take over and continue her legacy uh from there and so Um, you know, 18 years or 19 years of operation. And then uniquely, I taught here and every other administrator taught here. Like every leader in our school taught in our school. And so when we say we know what it's like to be in your shoes, we literally were in your shoes. And you, like I'm principal over people who was my team lead when I got here. Um, And so it's just a unique community that will accept that and can have that relationship and still hold each other accountable at the same time. Because again, it goes back to the mission. We're here for the students. uh, So everything we do is centered around
1: that. Yeah, I don't have so much a question, but just a a comment that that's amazing when you have that longevity of careers, especially within a school, but in in, in any organization, like that is such a testament to a culture of a place that people want to stay and grow their career. Because a lot of people, I think they, they think they have to leave where they currently are to grow vertically, professionally. So I, I just really attest to the organization. I'm, I'm impressed.
0: Yeah, so that that reminds me of a saying I say a lot is, is I feel like my job is to train you and prepare you to the point where you should leave, but make the culture so great that you don't want to. And so we have teachers who no doubt could be administrators if they just put in a resume. And administrators who could no doubt take a next step if they just put in their resume. But they're accounting for the culture change. Um, and and again, I really think it, leaders have to have that mentality. Um, and they see it, you know, through professional development and opportunities. And I'm pushing like, no, go try these things. But again, I I don't want to lose them, obviously. But if I do, I would feel that, you know, it's a great thing that they're taking that next step. Um but what ultimately happens is nobody wants to leave.
2: I think that's that's how you got to be. Um, I think there was probably a, like a, a day in time where everybody didn't think that way, and the the fact that you do probably probably goes a long way with your your folks. I, I guarantee your your staff loves that about about you, and that's probably exactly right. They're going to stay because you are building them up, so they could leave if they want to, uh, which is a big deal. Um, the second question in this section uh, really has to do with your experience at where you are now, Aventura and also like your experience student teaching. You can even bring uh, some military pieces into this if you'd like. Um, but from your perspective and your travels, I always like to, I always like to ask folks this question because everybody's seen different things, what stands out as strong indicators of good school culture to you? I mean,
0: immediately just when you're walking by everyone, their facial expressions, their body language, did everyone say hi to each other? Um, authentically, um, I I think that's always a very immediate, clear, uh, it starts to give you that feeling, right? You say you can kind of sense it. You feel that when you're walking down the hall. Um, If I'm walking down the hall with a school leader, you know, students aren't saying hi and they're not saying hi to students. I just get the feel of a disconnect and the same with with staff. Um, And so I think that's number one And and it starts foundationally and it's weird Because we're here for kids and teaching kids, but so much about what we do has nothing to do with the teaching. It's the relationships. And and so when you see and feel those relationships, um, you know clearly there's some level of culture. It doesn't mean they're going to be successful. You have to get deeper into how do they have accountability? How do they use data to inform instruction, um, curriculum choices, and things that all really matters to determine if a successful school. But for the culture you can see and feel relationships very easy.
1: And I think about, I mean, those relationships, you talk about what you can see and feel. I know um, you all use live school. How has that been built then into, or as you're working to build it, those behavior expectations for students, how do you use those to cement that school culture?
0: Yeah. And so so that's a great example of how our school culture operates. We started using live school because one of our third grade teachers had experience with it and wanted to try it out. And that's just what we're, if you wanna try it, let's try it. You already have the passion behind it. So our whole third grade team used it as a positive behavior uh, system. And partly because of what we all know is happening in schools, you know, the behaviors have escalated uh, to a level we've never seen before. And so we allow them the autonomy to create their token economy, to create the communication aspects and to create commonality among the third grade team only. And from the success our school counselors saw, and I saw, and our administrators saw, we thought, you know, how can we expand this? And so this year, we're rolling it out school-wide as as, um, a first step towards being a true PBIS school, knowing that's going to be a journey that takes several years. Um, And what I loved about it was there's just so many elements that replace other things we were doing. We're looking at If a kid's on a behavior improvement plan, we don't need a paper document anymore. We can build that into here. Um, And so to also solve that problem of of having so many systems that causes overwhelm, like I discussed, now the teachers see the benefit of we are consolidating, we are making some alignment vertically, and the parents and students know what to expect. So um, we started our journey with a teacher who said, hey, Dr. Tarkala, you know, I really would love to try this. And we said yes and gave them the support.
2: And it just turned out great. So we, we talked to somebody else the other day and they were talking about, um, you know, we're talking cultures. That's what we do. But he talked, he had the concept of uh, green light culture of, of giving your folks the green light so they can be your R and D department, you know, down the hall. And like, that's kind of what what you did here with the, with your third grade group. So they got to, they tested, they tried things out and that now you're, you're rolling it out to a, a bigger scale. Um, which, which I, th- I think that is a great way to in- impact change is let the folks who are excited about it, you know, encourage that excitement and let them run with it a little bit, you know, and you, you get great things that way. Um, that being said, the last one in this section, um, if you could if talk to, like we got a lot, of, a lot of bright folks in education, a lot of you know, really talented people. If you could talk to them and point them in one direction and say, lift this rock, this is the piece, this is what needs addressed right now, where would you point them?
0: Oh man, Um, I would take, you know, the immediate inflation and rent and mortgage and all these prices aside. I I would kind of ignore that, but that's super important right now, especially here in South Florida. Um, I would focus on time. Um, If there was any way that we could have the time, the resources to give teachers the amount of time they deserve to do what we're asking them to do, that would be incredible right? I mean, you know, you're asking them to grade hundreds of papers and know dozens of students, at least maybe more as you're getting the older grades. Um, you know, if they had the time, I know they would use it well. Um, and, and that's something that's very difficult, even with federal funds that have come in and we've been able to temporarily expand our staffs. Um, you still find that, that pitch point of, you know, how do I get them on common planning or give them release time to go focus on what they need to do, and keep the students gainfully engaged, um, you know, recess duty, lunch duty, all those things. If we can remove all of those, and we, and we I know every great leader tries their best to remove as many of those. Um, but if somebody could find a way to give us the resources needed to let teachers have, I think at least as much time to evaluate teaching and learning as much as we're asking them to do the teaching, um, that would be incredible.
2: I think that is, and is. I'm right there with you because I've had some conversations about that specific topic with other folks too. Actually, not on this podcast. Um, about you know the the time that we are asking folks to be Facetime with with kids, and they don't get near that time to plan it. They don't get that time to you know look at the data from it. Um, especially when you compare it to like other countries that they, they they figure that out. And we we need, we need to find a way to figure that out for our our folks to if we're going to get improve. Because um, there's so much there's so much Benefit there to be able to even, even go down the hall and observe another teacher, which that's something that has come up a couple times, which I think is, um, it feels like an easy thing to do, but it's not with schedules. It really, it really isn't an easy thing to make happen.
1: And I was just gonna say there too, it's that going down the hall to observe another teacher. It's going back to that like R and D concept, right? And giving the like think about getting buy in for something like a live school or any type of project product you're implementing, any type of program. For teachers to see it in action, it builds that buy-in. We call this the flywheel effect. And we think about those small changes, right? And even just allowing a teacher to see something in action, it can give them that spark that, and an inspiration to take it back to their classroom as well. So that's all I wanted to add add there.
2: Hey guys, this is Jordan from Live School, and today I want to tell you about the Dula School of Excellence. They're one of our partners from Chicago, Illinois, in 2000. 21, they set out to improve behavior in their school and improve their school culture. And Larry Williams, who's their culture and climate coordinator, decided to go out setting up a PBS and SEL program. It was important to him that it was measurable, it was easy to manage, and it was compliant with state privacy laws. He succeeded in that in a big way. Bellis had 100% adoption among teachers, 500,000 points earned by students last year. They had a 12 to 1 positive to negative point ratio. That's over 35,000 positive behavior and SEL interactions logged. Cool thing about that is you could do it too. They did it with Live School. If you want to find out how, check us out at whyliveschool.com. Um, so this one we call the Let's Move the Flywheel. This is where we're really talking about culture changes and you know those little wins we can find in our buildings that that create that momentum down the road. That's that's why we we titled the podcast this. Um, so we're trying to find the little things that everybody could do. And if, if it's very, it could be very specific to you that that's fine. Um, but we're trying to inspire folks if they can find those little things, you never know how much better your culture could be if you can add those little wins. So the first one is, can you share a story of a small change you led or observed, um, that deliberately changed the culture of a school?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, so I've talked about this before to a lot of people, um, I created a newsletter my first year as principal um, called Mindset Monday, and it, our, our theme that year was Mindset Matters, and the idea was, is, you know, I'm coming in, everyone knows me, but it still has changed. After 15 years of one principal, there's change. Um, Florida had, they were under review for standards at that time, so we knew more change was going to be coming at some point. I had no clue COVID was coming. Uh, But it happened to be the year that that COVID occurred. Um, And so every Monday, I would put out a newsletter um, that focused on any kind of topic that shifts your mindset, focuses on mindset. We were able to talk about school policies and and different things like that. Um, And I I knew it was going to be beneficial, but I didn't know so many staff would look forward to it and and say, you know, "I, I gained this out of it and I saw this or like it said in Mindset Monday. And it just became this standing um, ability to communicate directly to all staff um, and to be able to shift and shape the culture of the school and the mindset of our collective school um, community. And we talked about, you know, are you working out? Why not if you're not? Do, if we care about our health, then we have to take action about that. All the way to, are you communicating with your parents um, about how students are doing in your class, the good things and the things they could work on? Um, that was a a great, and it it does take time, but I would say it's well worth the, the investment of time to write it. Um, and now I actually recorded as an internal podcast, um, that they can listen to instead of um, reading it to save them some time again. Um, so that was huge. And and I even started doing it publicly and sharing a public version of it because I, I just really see it as a very beneficial tool, um. For, for staff and for teachers and educators it's a great, great way for me. And what I always tell them is I get as much out of it, like just thinking about what I'm going to write about and writing it down, you know, helps me stay mindful and focused in the present on what I need to focus on. So, so I thought that was a great, um, a great way. And and it's something I really saw as as deliberately shifting our, our culture for sure.
2: So your, uh, the mindset pieces that you put out publicly, I think that's actually how I found it. I, I noticed that and I said, well, this guy's going to have some good, cool things about culture to say. I guarantee it. So I, I saw you put him on Twitter. That's where I found it from. Um, the idea of an internal podcast is really cool in, in buildings because it's it, it with a small audience and they're they're you're talking directly to them. That's a really cool idea. Um, I, I there's an elementary teacher in in town that I was talking to. She wants to do that thing. She was telling me because I was telling her about our our show, and she's like, oh, I want to do that for my staff. Um, can you, real, real quickly, can you tell how hard it was to get get going? Like
0: it is, it could not be easier, especially if you know it's an internal uh, community and it's on Spotify. Like they listen to our podcast on Spotify. Um, we use, I use Anchor. I literally use my phone. I go into the car every Sunday evening. My neighbors probably wonder what I'm doing. Get in the car because it's super silent, um, and I just hit record and read the newsletter but I try to obviously make it more conversational and press stop. And I press, I give it a title and two minutes later it's on Spotify and I get the link and email it out with the newsletter. Um, So it could not be easier, especially if it's an internal community that you don't feel the need to be perfect. Um, It's, it's a great way to get it out.
2: Well, very cool. And you're, you're meeting your folks where they are. Um, like like the newsletter is a great idea. Um like I we did a newsletter and I had like a, a standing like blurb in it called the behavior blitz. I put up behavior tips every every week when it came out. Um it probably would have been got reached more ears if I if I did it you know via an audible version too. because uh, they could have listened to it on on their way out on Friday instead of having to stop and read it on Friday. Um so very beneficial. Uh really cool you're doing that. Um and do you have anything you want to add there?
1: like this type of communication a personalized communication I think it's so powerful from a leader especially and I just think about like even if parents found this right or students right like getting that idea of like taking you're talking about like mindfulness or taking care of yourself getting out there and exercising just I when you think of your principal I mean teachers it's your principal can be intimidating if you don't have the right relationship with them but especially with students right you go to the principal's office you're in trouble it's rarely for a good thing, but to hear their voice encouraging you, I just think there's such power in humanizing yourself as, you know, one of them. I, I, I just celebrate that. It's something that the best leaders I worked for in education were really good at humanizing themselves and making sure that interactions were not always when you were pointing out something negative, but when you were trying to inspire them or point out something really good.
2: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of humanizing, you mentioned, um, Folks walking by, seeing you recorded in your car. Um, my, my behavior bliss has kind of turned into, because now I do behavior tips on um, Instagram and TikTok. My neighbors seeing me film TikToks is one of the funnier things. So that's
0: <laughs> It's hilarious. I, I yeah. can see them looking at me. And I'm like, I'm just recording something. I'm, it's all good.
2: Um, question, is it just for your staff or do you push it? Do you have a version for parents? Can kids listen?
0: Yeah, so I started that last year, again, thinking of trends, we all noticed teachers were way, way overworked, overstressed, thinking personal home. So I thought, you know, how do I make this newsletter even easier for, the, for some staff? And so I started it as a podcast and I only did it for staff last year from spring break on. And then this year we're looking at ways to do um, something for the families. And so my initial idea is just to do instead of the staff version as a podcast, to do the public version. And it's usually the same content. Um, I just talk more third person. I don't say us and we, it's uh, more you and and your. Um, But at the end of the day, we're definitely going to find a way to engage students and and parents and encouraging our grade levels uh, as they do newsletters or or whatever it might be. I mean, because usually the text is done. You've already written it um, and you're going to send it as an email that we all know gets skimmed. So, you know, if they're going to be going for a walk or they're walking their dog or they're riding in the car, it's just an easy way to, to get attention. So, yeah, for sure, we're going to expand it.
2: I could see there being some benefits there. I, I don't know anyone who does this for their parents, but it sounds like you've got a good plan and, and like it's going to work. I could see there being a lot of relationship, relationship benefits to that. So when you make that, you have to make that phone call home that you got to make. They've already heard you multiple times in a real positive way. Even if it you know it's just about the school, and not specifically their kid, or or on open house night, they probably would would have a much better relationship with it because they've they've had some interactions with it, even though you may have not been directly because you you put it out there for
0: them. Yeah, and and so tied to that, um, you know, I, another saying I, I say a lot is I feel like whoever initiates conversations or communication dictates the pace of it, um, and oftentimes we let you know, parents initiate the conversation about something they noticed or thought or saw or heard. And if you started the conversations heavy from the beginning, um, there's a relationship there and an understanding um, that you do care because you said it before they asked you if you cared. Um, and so I, I agree that it's, it's a powerful way to, to shift conversations.
2: There's, a, there's the idea in um, like behavior management and classroom management of like pre-corrections where you're kind of getting in front of the, of something, like, you know, this is going to be a problem. So you address it. Like this is a much bigger, like kind of a PR version of that, you know, like you, if you see things down the road, like you can kind of pre-correct before you get there because you've, you developed this audience and you've developed a relationship with them. So yeah, I, I love it. I think it's going to be really cool, man.
1: Or I think even, you know, when you're rolling out live school and there are those behaviors, right. Like that you're trying to encourage students to have, you can see what behaviors are, uh students are getting demerits or aren't getting record. some schools don't do demerits that's great too but you can see which ones aren't getting rewarded if students aren't exhibiting that and I just think through like to put that out on a podcast is you know a challenge for parents to promote that right or like hey as a community we're really going to prioritize you know that coming to class prepared like here are some tips on that or whatever like, I just think it's it's a cool way then because you can. I love data. I'm such a nerd, but you could then see the data that maybe going up as well. And I, I just think it's it's really it, it's such a cool way to then bring that initiative out to the larger school community.
0: Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, no, I'm really excited about that that component of um, of communication and continuing to grow uh, our connection with our community through that.
2: So the the follow up to that one actually that's that's one that's that's working and and I think it's it's gonna be that it's going to pick up momentum. Like, like that's kind of what we're after here. Um, can you think of a time, and this doesn't have to be something you did. It could be something you observed that a a change failed. And the reason we we always throw this question in there is because I feel like we, we learn a lot from mistakes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a former coach and like I always used to say like it needs to break in practice so you can fix it before the game. Like if it, if it never breaks in practice, it's going to break in the game. <laughs> so you got to find like, look for those things ahead of time. So you can you think of something that it, it didn't work?
0: Um, in terms of, you know, school operations and, and school communication, um, you know, I, I would say I wouldn't call them failures, but we definitely pivoted and shifted. So, you know, just thinking the newsletter, I was only static with, with writing, so now I, I'm recording it. Um, you know, I think always shifting that way is super important. Um, our behavior plan at the start of the year last year failed i mean we were not ready we did not know that's how everyone was going to come back um and so we really we tried to have a global we had a great global tier one system and it it caught most students and they were able to to correct their behaviors but we saw several groups of extreme behaviors that we really just did not handle quickly enough we didn't get in front of quickly enough whether it was communication with the student communication with the parents collaboration among the teachers um, it took us a while to really realize okay this is a, a real problem that we have to grapple with um, around just general compliance and decency and, and we felt like it was just from a lack of structure as my theory is you know the world is has been chaotic for a while at that point the kids were like is school open is it closed do I stay home They my close contact do I quarantine? Can I pretend I was close contact? So I can quarantine. Like there were so many options available in life at that point that the structure just kind of lost itself. And and we're still going to keep dealing with that. But, um, you know, we realized the problem at some point and we just started, you know, figuring out how do we differentiate our discipline, right? We obviously want to focus on the positive. We obviously want to uh, have restorative justice and, and all of this, but we also have to create an environment where everyone can learn. And so we really just started getting very creative of of individualizing the approach based on the situation, using counseling and support, um, meeting with parents, being very explicit, like this is a major, we're not just meeting for fun, this is a major thing for us to figure out together. Um, And so I would say definitely, if you looked at failure, it was going into something that we should have known was going to be so different with our same old policies. Um, And I think that created in us, all summer, a lot of strategic planning, uh, thinking through potential scenarios, uh, solidifying roles and responsibilities as clearly as possible. All of that to know whatever happens when the start of the year comes, we'll be ready to address it.
2: Um, I don't think you're, you're alone in, in that experience. Um, I, that's that's it's pretty close to, to what I experienced. too. I was I was in school last year um, and I, I found that the tier one was. Was was pretty close to what we what we thought we expected, but the tier two and three was a lot more intense than we expected too. And I think a lot of folks saw that. Um, and it's probably for a lot of the reasons you're saying.
1: I'm kind of curious what were. I mean, for now, I'm opening it up to both of you, uh, <laughs> both behavior leaders. What were some of those really effective tier two, tier three interventions that you've put in place? Then that you know maybe are a little outside of the box or not ever school is using quite yet
0: yeah I mean I mean I don't think we we created anything brand new but we really leaned into things like student contracts um, being very explicit about the behaviors we are looking for and very explicit about the consequences for those behaviors um, making sure that that we we had a lot of conversations check-ins um, we used to just like we have a phone policy where it's supposed to be away, but you can bring it, um, and then you could take it back out at the end of the day. All students have devices from the school connected to our secure network, so there's really not a reason to use your your personal device. Um, but then when a the student might have lost that privilege, instead of just saying you can't bring it, we wanted them to bring it. But our assistant principal had a great idea where she they were turning it into her. And I mean, I would often be there meeting with her as they're turning it in or picking it up. And it was just amazing, this checkpoint she had with them to be able to just say, so how was the day going? Oh, I see your body language. Oh, I saw this note from this teacher. You know, great job. You know, maybe you can earn this back. It, it really it was different. We, we used to again, we would just say, don't bring it. If we see it, this triggers this consequence triggers. Um, it was her idea and, and it really worked well and a lot of work, obviously, on her part. Uh, but, but it really worked well. Another unique one is we t- we, K-8 is chaotic. It's nine grades, but it's beautiful that we could take seventh graders and put them in a third grade classroom to help as a consequence. It's not really a consequence. They love it. Like, but everybody loves it. And how do you interact around eight-year-olds and not have some level of empathy and compassion and all those values we need them to have? Um, and so they interact differently. They feel connected a little bit more um we use mindfulness um mandatory mindfulness um above and beyond what we did in the school day um yeah so it was just a lot of personalized approach and and trying to get students to really think about what they're doing um but it's it's adolescence at the same time so we, we were always thinking like all right it's not just covid they are also teenagers going through teenage things um but, yeah, it was just really looking at every kid, what's the situation, what can we do, what do we know about them, and just not accepting – I think that's the key – not accepting what was happening as if we can't do something to support.
2: Yeah, and what what you were saying is uh, – has a lot of the underlying principles of what, what I would lean on too, and that's – like a lot of those kids, need, they need relationships. and they need, they need somebody they can relate to. Um, and a lot of times you got to be real um, – creative in ways they can do that intentionally and with who. Um, so like a few things I did, like, um, a lot of folks use check in, check out. I think that's a good program. Um, you're finding a mentor in the building and that they, they check in with that, that, that person every day. that's kind of similar to what your, your AP was doing uh, in a way cause they had to go check in with her every day. Um, so that, that is, I think is good cause they, they have a, they have a go-to, you know what I mean? Um, I like small group stuff and like could they do small group, you know, skill stuff, um, similar behaviors with somebody with somebody who's leading that group that they respect and uh, you know if you if you've got those people you know, lean on them because because they, they can do a lot of good um, I love that you had them going to working in the younger younger kids classrooms that's that's huge because you know, you're building empathy you're building also all sorts of cool things there um, and one thing I found that was something we, we piloted last year was instead of because we found a lot of the behaviors were like to get out of something get out of class and a lot of our go-to responses were take them out of class so i started doing um a, like a morning type deal and it was more of a more of a counseling session we had our safe room teacher which uh i don't know if you have safe or iss so it's it's in school detention is what it is it's called something different everywhere um, but our safe room teacher she's absolute great person and runs a tight ship but the kids all over so like i would assign if a kid was like obviously trying to get out of class, like they were trying to get in trouble to be out, I would instead ins- sign all like the morning before class started would be what we call it morning with months. So her name is months, so um, but it's all relationship stuff. You're finding ways for them to have somebody they can connect to in the building. Awesome, that was beautiful.
1: That's like just kind of tying in what you were saying. What I noticed with both of those was just they were all very relationship focus then right and reinvesting in that school culture at the end of the day. So I just thought that was really beautiful.
2: So the third thing here in the like moving the flywheel, um, so what advice would you give educators who can find ways to improve culture that can scale and be sustained? So and the idea behind the scale and sustains part, that that's that's what makes this applicable to everybody who listens. So you, you can think about yourself as a teacher or you or a principal or or like you're leading a district, you know, how can you Take a take a culture initiative, make it work where you are, and may and take it further, and, and it lasts past past us, because we see a lot of kind of starts and stops in education. A lot of it's we have a good leader in a place and they do some great things, but then they go somewhere else and those great things stop. So how do you how do you scale and sustain it? Yeah,
0: I mean, um, when it comes to culture, in terms of creating it, it, it starts with just being authentic. Um, there's no one way you should be. Um, But what you have to be is yourself so that whenever you show up, they know what they're getting. Um, Because if you're not authentic, you can't be consistent, not consistent, then they're not going to want to be in a relationship with you because they don't know who you are and what they're getting. So that starts with creating it. And and I think humility and humbleness is just, you can't be an effective leader in this day and age without it. Um, which leads to you being able to give authority to others. Um, and then when you give that authority and there's clear roles and responsibilities and clear chain of command, you are developing capacity across the school. Um, so it's not contingent on any one person. If you're that great, um, it's wonderful. But once you're not there or if when you're not there, which is going to happen from time to time, all of it falls apart. So building the capacity all the way down Um and I think it just you have to have trust, you have to to believe in what you're doing and who you're doing it with. Um and and they have to know you feel that way. Um and so I always say you need to be very explicit, explicit in in what you want, what how you're gonna measure it, what's gonna happen if it's not occurring, um, but also explicit in how you feel and, and why you feel that way. Um and so the more you do that, I just think it just develops momentum. What I find unfortunate is I think many schools who struggle, they feel they don't have the time for that. And it's really, it's not that, you know, we're fortunate. We have incredible, you know, supportive parents, incredible supportive community and, and government that helps us. But a big part of our success is really the trust and autonomy that is provided and the support that's provided. I feel like the the more and more a school needs to improve, the more and more there's a feeling of, you know, you need to do it this way because I said it, and this is the way it has to be done. And once we get up here, then we'll release you. Um, But the problem is you're never going to get up there with that level of control and no two-way communication. Um, And so for sustainability, it comes with those relationships and developing those leaders who can continue it. Um, they'll know why you're doing what you're doing and they'll be able to do it uh, their way. And hopefully within their departments, they're using your vision, but they're doing it their way, not your way. Um, and so, again, it really wasn't you after all. It was really maybe you gave them some motivation and some inspiration, um, but the the systems are built by the people, not by someone else.
2: I, I want to tie that back to the, an answer you had earlier in our, in our first segment uh, when you talked about investing in folks so much that they can leave, but the culture being so good, they don't that your, your answer there reminds me of that a lot. And, you know, building up the folks who are going to be, be doing the work. And uh, like I said, I was a, I was a coach. I was a football coach for a long time. And like that, the structures on like football staffs are like very article, and like everybody wants like like do coordinator head coach things like they want those jobs. But I worked for a guy one time who said, you always need – if you're going to do good, you should always be training your replacement. And, like, because that's how the the, the program succeeds because it's more than, like, you just get another job. It's the program gets better because you got better because you trained that other person, uh, which that reminded me of kind of how, how you answered that. So, like, investing in folks and delegating and, and, and building them up so at the time when folks leave, you've, you've still got folks who can carry on the work.
0: Yeah, and, and I just – I want to also – you know, I, I come from – I played football. I played rugby. And obviously the military is is structured that way. You know you're leaving. People are moving all over the place. But from that, what doesn't get discussed enough is also there's that accountability also. It's not just flowers and roses and we all get along. We do all get along, of course, but we have accountability and we have expectations. And again, speaking of what COVID created, there's among the adults Also, and for many good reasons, daycares, changing their hours, quarantining kids, whatever it might be, there's been a lot of, you know, lack of clear, consistent expectations and understanding of, of how there will be any kind of follow through on those. And so when you have that relationship and you've done that communication, then you can sit down and say, okay, we said this together. We agreed to this together. But this is what occurred. You know, how can I help you? make sure that we're meeting these expectations. And if those conversations are happening and the expectations are still not being met, then maybe it's just not a fit uh, culturally for the school. And you have to be ready to make those decisions um, equally. And and because if not, then the culture starts to deteriorate from the other end of everyone who's doing all of this work saying, well, I'm, I like that we're friends, but we also have jobs. Um, and so you have to be very clear on your expectations and your follow through on those as well and that's something in football that while they're doing all of that the the scoreboard is going to tell you at the end of the game whether or not it's working
2: and like that's something like even when I'm, i'm talking to folks about even classroom management um like relationships and discipline are not two separate ideas you know what i mean like the like you need to have good, good relationships, but to do that, you, there has to be discipline and respect on both sides. So you have to meet both sides have to meet expectations, just like you were saying, like for, for the relationship to mean anything, the discipline has to be there and they have to, they have to, they have to rise to the standard there. So we're at uh, the end here, Anthony, and what we're going to do, I want if they, if folks can find you somewhere on social media, I want them to be able to find you. If you've got any projects you want to plug, now's a great time to do it. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously we'll have your, your Twitter handle in the in the show notes, but anything else you'd like to like to share?
0: Yeah. I mean, Twitter is really what I, I use. I just use it for professional reasons only. Um, you know, I, I like to connect with educators and leaders. Um, and so at Principal Turk would be the best one, um, on Twitter, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, checking, um, you know, I come and go, you know, how the year has peaks and valleys. Um, but Twitter is definitely my preferred uh, method of communication for professional reasons. Um, and i would love to connect with anyone uh, who wants to talk and, and grow together i always say you know we connect and we grow together that's like that's what we do here
1: and can anyone listen to your podcast you said it's on spotify could they find it if they want to hear it and see what it's like if they want to roll it
0: out yeah they certainly could so at that point it was definitely geared towards our staff what i would say is, is connect with me on twitter you will see the public uh, mindset mondays that will start back um here in the middle of august and my goal is to have a podcast embedded in that one as well. Um, so I'm currently teaching uh, a master's level education leadership courses and we're running the school and all of that. And so my goal is to run a public podcast, but um, obviously that have business here first. But no matter what, I'll continue the newsletter and um, I would love for people to check it out, give feedback and share it. Um, I just think it's great information that would move any school forward, honestly.
2: I'm going to, I'm to make a prediction here in a couple of weeks after we post, there's going to be, uh, principals running a podcast in their schools all around the country. That's, that's coming. You're going to inspire a bunch of folks.
0: What I love about education, uh, that I was saying, I love that about education is that, you know, everybody's just in it to make each other better. Like it's not, I mean, I'm sure there are some people who have a mission of, of, I don't know, making money or followers or whatever it is that they're going to make, um, most of us see through that and don't don't kind of go that direction uh but it's really like just this cycle that the more you do it and the more you connect the better you get um and it's just it's just a beautiful way to grow it's unfortunate every career field isn't that way um but i love that about education and that's exactly why i chose you know this field i always say it's the best field um you could possibly work in um the most difficult but definitely the best one
1: The flywheel effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.